0: In every market downturn, the problems are part economic and part psychological. There's no denying our economic problems. Oil vacillates weekly. The declining U.S. housing market has resulted in write-downs of $400 billion worldwide. With more to come, what is a physician to do in these turbulent times? Where should we be placing our hard-earned dollars? Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Bill Cleveland a CPA and Certified Financial Planner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management in Augusta, Georgia. Bill, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Dr. Caskell.
0: Well, Bill, where should I be putting my money? Should I just shove it in the mattress?
1: Well, we've had a few clients ask us that lately. And one of the difficult things right now is obviously the emotions. And we see this in extreme up markets as well as the extreme down markets. And to us, the key is consistency over time. And you know, especially with doctors who are investing money on a monthly basis, um, and especially for those you know, that are not going to retire tomorrow, these times are actually great times to be investing in the stock market.
0: Let's talk about that. You say they're great times. I've always heard that when the sky is falling and there's blood in the streets, that is the time to buy. Sure. You want to take advantage of the panic, and the herd is usually wrong.
1: Right. We like to watch what we call the experts. I mean, you look at your your Warren Buffett's, Berkshire Hathaway, your Bill Grosses, who's with PIMCO out in California, and your endowments. And you kind of watch what they're doing. They're the ones that were disciplined and had cash to take advantage of these opportunities. And they're buyers now, mm-hmm. So, which is typically exactly the opposite of what I would call the average investor does. And there's been a lot of studies done on this. DALBAR, D-A-L-B-A-R.com, has some great studies on this. The average investor actually pulls back right now and then waits for the market to run up and then invest, so they get kind of hurt on both sides.
0: I heard on CNBC this morning, actually, they were trying to find the difference between an investor and a saver, and they were saying an investor actually takes advantage of
1: leverage. Do you agree with that? To a certain extent, if it's smart leverage, I would say. I'm pretty conservative by nature. I think a lot of our clients are fairly conservative. I mean, they want to use leverage, what I call smart leverage, to a certain extent. Maybe having some mortgage debt if they're trying to buy an office building for the practice. You know, obviously, the ideal world, I guess you could pay cash for anything, but I don't know too many people that can do that. So you have to use leverage to a certain extent to grow your business. But at the same time, we're moving into a market environment where very few people are going to be able to do 100% loans anymore. You know, which very, is
0: good. Which is good. You know, That's how we got into trouble.
1: Yeah, and. Uh, credit standards are tightening. If you buy a lot now, you're going to have to put more money down. So you can still use smart leverage, but you're not going to be able to, and you don't want to overextend yourself, which I think can't hurt you financially. So there's a happy medium, I think, somewhere in between there.
0: What can we learn from the Consumer Sentiment Index, where it's at currently in relation to history? Do you use that as a good barometer?
1: We look at it as one tool. You know, we don't put a whole lot of weight into any one stat. We tell clients right now the market by any measure is undervalued. You know, if you look at price earnings ratios, so what have you, any objective measures, but it can always get cheaper. You never can pick the bottom. Same thing with consumer sentiment. I mean, most people think of consumer confidence, which is really how are we feeling today? You know, how does the average person feel about things today? And it's not so good. Some of the recent measures that have come out on that are pointing to consumer confidence being at all-time lows. You know, most people look at that and say, wow, things are tough. I really shouldn't be investing now. I shouldn't be buying a house. I shouldn't be uh, investing. But typically that's what most people call and historically has been a lagging indicator versus a leading indicator. Typically, when consumer sentiment has hit lows before, that has been where the markets tend to bottom out. And there's been some nice returns historically when consumer sentiment has hit its lows. I hedged that a little bit by saying, who knows if June is the lows of consumer sentiment? So that just gets back to our first point that you know we strongly believe that the key to being successful over time is being a disciplined investor, having a smart asset allocation, You know, people learned a long time ago that used to think 15 tech companies was a diversified portfolio, but you have to have a a well-diversified portfolio. We believe these times are as good as any to be an investor, but we definitely don't know if it's the bottom or not.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Bill Cleveland from Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management from Augusta, Georgia. And we're talking about where to put our money these days. Bill, you wrote a column in medical economics on dividend-paying stocks. Can you kind of define what a dividend is and what's considered a good dividend?
1: Sure. Sure. You know, if you look at your a corporation, simplify it to a certain degree, but they typically you know, are earning cash flow. You know, they have earnings. They have the option of reinvesting those earnings in a business, which a lot of your higher growth companies do. So they'll pay no dividends or a very small dividend. Or companies will say, okay, well, I want to reinvest some of it, but I want to return some of that money to shareholders. So they'll actually pay that money out in cash, typically quarterly, And most of the time, if you have a brokerage account, it will just show up in cash in that brokerage account. And they'll pay that dividend out quarterly.
0: Will that dividend automatically get reinvested, or do you have to kind of designate if you want it?
1: Well, there are automatic reinvestment plans out there. I think it can go either way. If you want to have it reinvested, I think you can work with your advisor to do that probably a typical brokerage uh, account, most of the time it probably gets paid into cash.
0: And if a physician's near retirement, I would imagine his needs are changing and he probably could use that cash as income.
1: Anytime we look at portfolios, we are always adamant about having broad-based diversification. And we typically use seven to 10 different asset classes. And when we say asset class, we mean U.S. stocks, large cap would be an asset class, bonds, cash, those would all be different asset classes. But we look at dividend paying stocks as one of those asset classes that is going to generate some income over time that will work with the other asset classes we have in the portfolio to kind of meet our goals, you know, meet the kind of income that we need to live off on.
0: Let's do a real life example. I am a 46-year-old physician I do not plan on retiring for at least another 10, 15 years. Do I need any dividend-paying stocks in my portfolio currently?
1: I don't see why not. You know, we'd obviously want to drill a lot deeper and get to know the details of that individual. But going forward, dividends obviously weren't very popular in the late 90s. You know, we, everyone thought it was a, a new paradigm, and, you know, we were going to earn 15 to 20% returns indefinitely dividend-paying stocks were not popular at all then. Who would want a 3% dividend when you can make 20%? But going forward, and we always be a little hesitant when we say the experts think, but most smart people I read think returns are going to average between 6 and 10%, you know, depending on who you read going forward. So dividends are going to be a much more important component of your equity return going forward. And I don't see why not, you know, a 46-year-old would not want to have some of his or her portfolio in a dividend-paying company.
0: How would you feel about buying a dividend indexed fund instead of specific stocks.
1: It's always a difficult time to be an individual stock picker, but this is an even more difficult time because there's so much unknown risk in one stock. There's so much behind the scenes. You can evaluate balance sheets and, and income statements all day, but there's so much risk out there that it is just unknown. You name your favorite bank right now, Bear Stearns, Enron, WorldCom. All of these companies were darling stocks at one time. Anytime you're trying to pick the best dividend stock, you're always going to run into that unknown risk. So
0: if a physician is looking for dividend-paying stocks and he finds one that is paying a nice yield, let's say 9 10%, is that a sign of bad things to come?
1: Well, it could be. I mean, it, it very well could be. I mean, because a 9 or 10% dividend is definitely way above average. Uh, I think 2 to 3% is probably average. You know, some companies are now, because their stock prices come down, are paying uh, much higher than that. But you're right. I mean, the company's dividend yield is basically calculated as the expected annual dividend over the next four quarters divided by the closing price. So. You know, if company A had a dividend of a dollar and its stock price was at a hundred, you know, it'd have a yield of one percent. Company B had a dividend of five dollars and a stock price of a hundred, its yield would be five percent. But let's say company B's stock price goes to fifty, you know, it would then be paying a ten percent dividend, which sounds wonderful, but there's a lot more behind the scenes that you need to look into.
0: What happened with Citigroup this year?
1: Citigroup, don't wanna you know, just single them out, but all of the banks have, have obviously had a tough time. And you know, Citigroup was paying a dividend of close to eight percent, you know, on January fourteenth. But the reason its dividend was so high was because the stock was down fifty percent. You know, shortly thereafter the dividend was cut, you know, forty one percent and them and other banks have had to cut, you know, dividends throughout this year in order to try to conserve cash. So you want to be very leery of high dividend-paying stocks and really try to look under the hood and understand why those dividends being paid are so high. You know, there's no free lunch. So I think people need to, need to understand that while dividend-paying stocks can be good for a portfolio, the principle not guaranteed. So you want to make sure you understand what you're buying.
0: And I guess there's some uncertainty out there also about dividend taxes,
1: well well there is you know right now capital gains basically if i hold a if i buy a stock at at 5 and it goes to 10 and i hold it for over a year then capital gains long term capital gains taxes are 15% and dividends taxes are at 15% as well there's certain restrictions within that but in general that's the case we only have basically two more years of that 2009 and 2010 and then that expires so If nothing is done, you know, we'll go back to dividends being taxed at ordinary income tax rates, which federally right now are are as high as 35%. So that obviously would be a significant disincentive, if you will, for companies to pay out higher dividends. And depending on your individual tax bracket, you know, obviously you'd have to relook at things, you know, if that was the case. Depending on who's elected president this year... That could change next year. As everyone knows, Congress likes to tinker with the tax laws fairly often, so that's not a guarantee that we even have two more years of that.
0: Bill Cleveland of Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management from Augusta, Georgia. Thank you very much for talking with me today and teaching me a little bit about how to be a better investor.
1: Yeah, well, thank you, Dr. Caskell.
0: I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM 157. To comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit our website at reachmd.com. You can now reach us by phone with comments or suggestions at 888-MD-XM 157. And thanks for listening.